Moving Iron Podcast is proud to be part of the Global Ag Network. The network is going live soon, so check out globalagnetwork.com for more details and updates. Now on to the show. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Moving iron. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast number 115. This week my guest is Alan Hoskins, and Alan is the CEO of American Farm Mortgage and Financial Services in uh, Louisville, Kentucky, right? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Alan, how you been, man? Great, Casey. It's uh, good to talk to you again. Appreciate the opportunity to be on the podcast. No, man, it's great. It's been a, been a little bit since we had a had our last conversation, which was in Las Vegas at the Moving Iron Summit, and I really appreciate you coming down and talking about the stuff you saw happening out there. So, uh here we are at the end of the year, into 2018, and and uh, why don't you give me just a little bit of recap and your opinion of what you saw happen in 2018, and and how you think that's going to lead into 2019? Sure, you know, Casey, if you look in our general area, I would call 2018 kind of a treading water type year. We again, as much like we did in 2017, we saw some pretty darn good yields in our area, and that certainly had helped offset some of the challenges associated with pricing. Now, there were some folks that took advantage of those early opportunities that we saw back in April where there were some profitable selling opportunities that presented themselves. But the yield was, again, there. It certainly wasn't a banner year if you look at overall profitability because not everyone was fortunate enough to do some of that selling at the higher prices. So obviously, we're just getting to the point where we're seeing the financial statements here as we get into year end. But my expectation is 2018 is going to be pretty much a kind of hold your own year, I would say, on average. Right. Yep. And I totally agree with that. There was uh, 17 and 18 again. felt a lot like each other. It wasn't, there wasn't much mm-hmm. difference between the two. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe a little more news going on with the whole China thing, but you know, people throw, yeah. people throw that out there quite a bit. And when they talk about China and, and this, that, and the other, and how that's affecting sure. commodity prices and it absolutely is, but sure. there is plenty of news out there that if we kept having these record crops that in 2017, mm-hmm. 2018, we could see some pretty mm-hmm. major deficits in, in commodity prices. So, you know, I think the news fell at the right time, definitely not helping it any, but you know, is what it is. So when you, uh, you, you are a, a true glutton for punishment because people that don't know Alan is a, he's a unique guy. He's a banker, right? He is a farmer and he also jockeys equipment. So man, he's like the ultimate guy that's just out there looking to get as much, uh, much thrown at him as he possibly can, I guess. But <laughs> I know you watch a lot of auctions, Alan, going through 2018, what did you what in, what industry trends and, and equipment trends did you see develop that where you were a little bit shocked by? Well, you know, Casey, I think one of the things that candidly I've been a little bit surprised by is how much the combines that are in that four year old, five year old range, how we've seen 
you know, if you look at the 2012, 2013 S series, the 670s, 680s, certainly seems to me the gap between those and the 70 series, the 11, 10, 11 model 70 series has narrowed quite a bit. Candidly, you know, I might have thought that those would have held a little bit more. Also, you know, that one-year-old machine still seems to be pretty darn strong, but wow, the depreciation. After about year three, that in the year four, sure seems like that's something that I'm seeing. Uh, on the not surprising side, I would tell you that on the good lower-houred stuff that's that 15-year-old, 20-year-old, that is still holding, from what I've seen, really, really well. One of the trends, Casey, that I've seen that I have found a little bit surprising, I've had the opportunity to talk to a couple, three producers where they've gone to more of a leasing situation as opposed to ownership, and they've utilized the equity and the equipment that they owned to help minimize the required payments on that lease. I kind of have been a little bit surprised at that. I kind of would have thought maybe that there would have been a little bit longer perspective thought by some of the folks that I've talked to. And certainly there's, I'm not in a position to tell someone what's right or wrong, but if you look at the market conditions we've seen over the past two or three years now, if not a little bit longer, if those persist up until the point of that lease expiration and we continue to see equipment values do what they've done, you know, Casey, I've got a little bit of concern about what what may be the options that producers will have then. So that's a trend I've been a little bit surprised by, candidly. Yeah. One trend that I've watched, and I, and I see it, I'm starting to see it develop, and I've been kind of worried about it for the last, I don't know, six, eight months. And and, and the reason I, I, I kind of start watching this stuff, and sometimes the stuff I come up with in my head is just in my head, right? And some of the stuff actually comes uh-huh. true. I'm starting to see this now where I, I'm starting to watch that 12, 13, 14 model stuff that guys uh-huh. didn't trade in in 2014, but they uh-huh. normally would have done in their normal trade cycle, but they've just kept it. The, for the last five years, yes. right? And yes. now they're wanting to trade it in because they've got 2,500 hours on their combine. They've got 5,000 hours on yes. their tractor and, you know, so on and so forth. Yes. That stuff's starting to show up. What I'm really worried about, and I saw this happen in 2010 and 2011 with the, with the, with the combines. We had all these combines, one, two-year-old combines that were on the front end of that spectrum where you had – low hour stuff, but you didn't have anything else after that, right? And, and mm-hmm. commodity prices were so good that guys were trading their 9610s in on a 97.70, right? They had, they had plenty on farm yes. income, right? Well, now what I'm worried about is I'm not so much worried about the one and two-year-old stuff. My only worry mm-hmm. there is is just the cost, you know, of, of what that used equipment is now yes. and then what that buyer looks yes. like now. Is yes. that far enough back to get the guy that should be buying – you know, that, that conversation with a guy that could buy a new one but really kind of wants to buy the used one, is it far enough back to where he's yeah. saying, hey, man, I'm just going to get the new one now? Or, yep, that's far enough back. I'm yes. going to get this used piece now. What yes. I am seeing happen now is on the other end of that spectrum, with that higher hour mm-hmm. stuff is starting to, to really fill in that gap, but there's nothing in the middle in between. 
So this guy's got a 5,000-hour tractor. He's trading that in on a, you know, normally you would think 1,500, 2,000 hours. Those tractors exist, mm-hmm. but they're not nearly as in mm-hmm. high high demand as, or high population anyway, as, as what you see. What's exactly. your What's your opinion of that, and, and where do you see that stacking up with the customers you work with? Well, Casey, I, I think you're absolutely spot on in what you're talking about. We're, we're, we're seeing that gap on those hours widen. And honestly, I think just as I encourage producers to use us as an advisor whenever they're working on the finance side, Casey, one of the things that I'm really encouraging producers to do is to sit down with their equipment dealer as well. Because, you know, y'all are in a very unique situation to be able to guide them in these kind of times. And what's been good for those producers historically, because as you talked about, we've not really seen a chasm develop where there's such a widespread between the low hour stuff and the high hour stuff. You know, there's always kind of been a trend where there was used equipment out there that was had moderate hours on it that they could find a good piece to add to the operation if necessary or to trade something of that nature. But Casey, I really think right now producers need to be sitting down with their equipment dealers as as well and kind of strategizing about how they're going to transition this equipment to help them deal with that problem that you just talked about. And, you know, I I appreciate you bringing that up because candidly, I'm not hearing a lot of people address that. And I think it is something that producers really need to think about. And again, they've got that good relationship with that equipment dealer. Leverage that because I know you all, you have your pulse on not just what's going on today, but, You've been in this business long enough. You can kind of foresee some of the trends in the future. And I think it's a great opportunity for producers to strengthen that relationship with folks like yourself and get some good guidance on how they can avoid the pitfalls of not being able to find that piece of equipment that they're going to need down the road. Yeah, that, that's that's a good that's a good point. You know, we, we harp on our guys when they're out at this time of the year to start talking with producers about Hey man, what's your what's your buying strategy for next year? What do you if you could uh-huh. replace any piece of equipment on the farm, what would it be? You know, then what would your uh-huh. second piece be? And you know, so then we can start thinking about those kind of things and, and where those um how that how that's all gonna fall into place. Um uh-huh. it's it's getting to be uh you know, with technology especially, some of these uh-huh. advancements in technology these guys are trading into and what they're trading into or trading out of and and then what uh-huh. they're trading into. It's a big jump mm-hmm. from some of this stuff. I mean, there's some of the stuff, like especially planters, is a good example of that. The guy that's got the 2014 planter right before the the uh, mm-hmm. the new uh, exact merge and all the different mm-hmm. uh, precision stuff with the electric uh, downforce and electric mm-hmm. uh, row units and all those different things that are there. Mm-hmm. That's a big, 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 huge game changer when it comes to your yield. I don't care if it's John Deere or if it's precision or if it's whoever it is. Um, Absolutely. It makes a big difference in the way things are, you know, and understanding yeah. what that technology does for you. So you as a banker, when you're sitting across from that guy and you're talking to him and he comes up with the idea uh-huh. that I need to get a new planner and I'm looking uh-huh. at trading mine in over here and it's worth 50 grand. And uh-huh. the one I need to buy, that's the used one's a 
hundred eighty five thousand dollar two hundred thousand dollar used one. I'm you know yeah. laying out one hundred fifty to $200,000 worth of cash mm-hmm. to, to make this work. Mm-hmm. How do you have that conversation and how's that justification process go when you have that conversation with the, with the grower? Well, first of all, Casey, that's the exact type of grower I love to work with because when they're coming in and they're talking about trading planters, you touched on it very eloquently. It used to be when you traded planters, you were just trading iron. Today, when you trade planters, you're trading both iron and technology. And I love the borrower that comes in and says, you know, look, I do need to trade planters. It's going to be 135 grand, but let's talk not just about the cost of the transaction. Let's talk about the return on the transaction. Because with that technology that's available, for example, if they're going to a planter with real command from one that didn't, you know, there's seed savings associated with that. When you talk about the higher speed planters, you know, obviously being able to cover more acres certainly makes a big difference. When you talk about the singulation on some of the newer planters versus the older ones, again, there's just a lot of things that enter into the discussion. It's not a discussion about price. It's a discussion about return. And the borrower that comes in prepared for that type of discussion, candidly, those are the exact kind of people that we want to work with because they understand they're not making a purchase, they're making an investment. And they're looking for a true return. So I absolutely enjoy those types of conversations. And typically, certainly you can't say something's always the case, Casey. But typically, those are probably going to be your farms that are better managed. They're probably going to be more profitable farms because they understand that what they're doing is impacting overall net revenue not just trading a piece of equipment on the farm. Yep. That that's a that's a a very key point. We have that conversation quite a bit. When do you have that conversation with the customer then so instead of him trading in his whatever, you know, for uh for that that newer one or two year old planner, you start looking at sure. like maybe John Deere retro kits or uh precision planning bolt on mm-hmm. stuff. I mean, when do you start having that conversation and how does that differ in, in, in what you're doing? Well, I, I think we have that conversation. When we sit down with folks every year, one of the questions, Casey, that I want to talk to them about, and you alluded, you all kind of do the same thing. One of the questions that I want to hear them answer is, what are your capital improvement purchases that you see being made over the next one year, three year, five years? When they talk about, again, going back and using the planter example, when they say, look, I want to trade planters. Okay, tell me about that. We talk about it. One of the questions that I'll ask is exactly what you said. What do you think the value is in acquiring the new item versus retrofitting the old? Obviously, acres run over has a bearing. And we understand that even if you have two planters that have identical technology and they've been over a few acres, metal fatigue becomes a problem sooner or later. So I think that has to factor into the decision. The other thing that we will also key on as part of the discussion, are you a farm that's in transition? 
or in transition. Are you transitioning to be higher acred? Do you have expansion plans in the next 12 months, 24 months? Tell me about your relationship with your landlords. How do you feel that those are? Do you see any potential loss of acres? Or are you strategically saying, look, I'm looking at my cash rents, and honestly, I'm cash renting 3,000 acres and 1,000 of it I'm losing money on. I need to basically get rid of this 1,000 acres, and it makes more sense to do some retrofits to my existing planner versus trading. You know, those are all part of just a good dialogue between, again, what I hope is an advisor with an organization such as ours, bankers such as ours, and a good progressive customer. Yeah, that's that's the uh, that's the key thing too. Is you know you see a lot of these uh, quote unquote precision donors. A guy take a seventy two hundred plan yes. and make it go fast. And first off, exactly. that bar is thirty years old already, right? Yes. And mm-hmm. it was never intended to go that fast. So I mean, just the torque exactly. tension and and all the different stuff that's under all the pressure that it's under and everything else. It's just not meant to do that. So I mean, I get it, but yes. at the same time. One thing I have noticed about those, um, I talked a lot about that this spring about you know what precision and and, and how that mm-hmm. how that stuff kind of started coming together and it's kind of like any other planner technology that you have. Mm-hmm. It depends. Each person is different and what they want. And I watched the mm-hmm. first planner go across the auction block with full bore precision on it. And when was that? might have been March or April, maybe May. But it only brought about half of what of what all that stuff was worth, and it was one-year-old. Um, that's my only fear about that stuff, that there's so much of that out there right now. How, how are people going to react to it? And that, that's kind of one fear I have to it. Mm-hmm. And, Casey, I, I think, obviously, geographical differences oh, yeah. can certainly affect the values of those. Mm-hmm. But I think also as as producers become more comfortable with the technology, and, and granted, the technology in agriculture is kind of like the technology in, that we see in society in general. It's changing at warp speed. Mm-hmm. But I think as producers continue to become more comfortable with some of the advanced technology that's available to them, I think then you may see some of those trends at auctions maybe deviate a little bit because they're going to be more comfortable and recognize the value in that. Mm-hmm. And here again, if they're having those conversations with their lenders prior to go into those auctions, hopefully they've got some encouragement from that lender about, look, I, I get what you're looking at here and let's talk about what the value of that additional technology is going to be before you go to the auction. So I, I would I would hope Casey is as we go forward and we see things occur, I, I would hope that the situation that you address there maybe will change somewhat. I'm gonna watch that one. We'll keep watching that through this uh mm-hmm. end of the year first you know, we're coming into that kind of that peak used planner selling cycle. You know, here we are in rolling into January, February, yes. March, you know, you're gonna start really seeing that stuff stuff sell. So it'll be interesting is to watch the specs and see what how, how things are stacking up. And, and really, I mean, the one thing about planners too is that one, there hasn't, we, we sold all of them at auction 2014 and we haven't sold that many new ones since then. So 
there's not a whole lot of use planners out there. So it would be kind of interesting to see how things start to work out. Absolutely. All right. So now we are, again, like I alluded to earlier, combines are, are getting to be a little long in the tooth on, on the farm for a lot of guys. Um, they've mm-hmm. long gone past for most guys, what they would normally do for trade cycle or even for hours for that matter. Um, yes. Pretty, being across the board, there's a lot of new technology on combines, a lot of new, mm-hmm. you know, stuff that makes them do a lot more automation and a lot more, a lot more stuff mm-hmm. than you've seen in the mm-hmm. past, especially like on the John Deere S700 series. I mean, there's a lot of technology there that's got some artificial intelligence built into it that does some adjustments on the fly. So, um, it really kind of opened that door up for who get who can drive that machine now. It doesn't really take a very experienced person to drive a combine anymore. You can just kind of let the combine do its thing and just throw somebody in it. So <clears throat> when you're looking at, uh, when you're looking at what you see out there, the customers that you're dealing with and the stuff that you see happening, uh-huh. would you say that's a, that's kind of a pain point for them a little bit is, is that new combine and, and, and what that making that decision to make that bank? Cause in a lot of cases, that's a pretty big jump anymore. We're going from that $125,000 or something to that four or $500,000 something. Absolutely. I would definitely say that. And, you know, obviously the market containing the number of buyers for new combines is dwindling just simply due to the fact that, you know, you go back to 25 years ago, you know, a 1500 acre operator, I saw guys that were 1500 acres buying brand new combines not saying that doesn't occur today but it's certainly the exception rather than the rule i would say casey that the technology again as we talked about as was the case on the planners the guys that understand how that technology benefits them and you know you talked about the difference in an operator requirements if you will for a new 780 versus if you go back to when the 50 series first came out and you were still doing a lot of settings manually, you can potentially have somebody that's a little bit less experienced. I mean, obviously they've, they've still got to understand the general concept of what they're doing. And because, you know, as much as, as much as we like to think the technology does cure everything, you know, if they look out that cab window and they see a lot of corn on the ground <laughs> each pass as they go by, <laughs> you know, hopefully they're they're paying attention. But, you know, Casey, I'll say that, you know, I think guys definitely, as you said, some of these combines are getting a little bit long in the tooth. And I have seen a movement with some producers of going to the second machine and maybe they've got a 15 model or a 16 model S680 and they've been looking at trading and they say, well, you know what? I'm, I'm going to add a 12 model or a 13 or a 14 model. And in looking that in comparison to trading to that new 780 and going with one, obviously there's positives and negatives to both sides of that because, you know, you, you have two combines, your repairs and maintenance bills are going to go up. Right. I mean, that's just a, that's just a matter of fact. And that warranty on that new combine, when you're talking about the price or the investment, if you will, and 
the cost of the new machines today, that warranty adds a whole lot of value, in my opinion. And Casey, one of the conversations that I have with customers, if they're running a new combine, just simply look at the cost per acre. Look at what it's costing you to run this machine. And look at what the cost per acre is going to be by the time that you're all in if you're running two machines. You know, again, going back to the labor thing, Casey, you have two combines. Obviously, you've got two operators. You have one combine and a nice grain cart to go along with it. There's some very good efficiencies by keeping that combine moving, keeping that grain cart underneath it. So I think it's a matter of, and again, we don't tell people what to do. We just have discussions with them. But that per acre cost to me is key because let's say you've got debt on a combine. In your trade difference, you're able to, on a per acre basis, keep that trade difference at a pretty darn reasonable number. Well, if, if you hold the debt constant, the combine's going up in value every year. So if you're cash flowing the trade difference on a per acre basis pretty reasonably, you're actually building equity in that machine. Because the cost of the news moving up, your debt's constant, so your equity is increasing as you make those trades. And again, as was the case with the planter, we're not talking about just the iron anymore. Casey, I don't know what the number is. Maybe you do. But if I look at the price of a new combine today, what's the cost of the technology versus the cost of the machine? Yeah, good point. Good point, yeah. So I would tell guys that are running decent-sized operations that have gotten got a new combine, before you buy the second machine or the third machine, depending upon your operation, look at your true cost per acre and make sure that it isn't more economical for you to keep trading that combine, holding your debt constant, again, if you have any, as opposed to adding that second machine. Okay. All right. So you as a lender, as you're, as you're looking out here to 2019, um, mm-hmm. grid sampling and, and soil sampling and, and, you know, drones and you get satellites and just go on for days with all the different technologies that are out there to help you know, catch stuff or measure stuff or increase this or that or yes. whatever it is. <clears throat> how, how important is that going to be to you as a lender to know that that customer that you're dealing with is, is doing everything they can within reason? You know, you can spend a lot of money and really get nothing out of it. Sure. But sure. Within reason to help kind of automate or help increase the efficiencies on their, on their, on, in their platform. How's that? How does that set with you, and how does that play into your decision of, of working with that customer or not? In a one-word answer, Casey, to how important is that to me, it's huge. And here's why. We know that within an 80 or 160 or a 40-acre field, we're going to see, in many cases, multiple soil types. We know that the productivity of every acre in that field is not the same. I think folks that are looking at ways to more effectively control their input costs by putting fertility where it's going to provide a return, that is management. In a single word, it's management. And 
the managers today, Casey, that are doing a good job, those are the ones, again, you can't say it 100% of the time, but those are going to be your more profitable operations. So when they see the value in grid sampling, not because their neighbor's doing it, so that they can go to the coffee shop and say, I'm doing grid sampling also, but where they can point to and help me as a lender understand the return on that grid sampling investment because they're minimizing fertilizer cost, they're minimizing chemical, or they're running a planter that has the, the prescription written to allow the variable rate seed controller to plant less population on that weaker part of the field. Those are the exact things, Casey, that I want guys to come in and share with me for a couple of reasons. Number one, it helps me relate to them much more effectively on from a lender's perspective on how we can add value to their operation. Because candidly, if they're at that level, I've got to up my game as a lender. Because if they're upping their game to that level of a produce as a producer, for me to provide any value to those folks, I've got to be doing something better tomorrow than I am today. So I would tell you that's one part of it. The other thing is, as a banker, I never share the names of customers. But Casey, one of the things that's great about what I get to do, I can take success stories about what one farmer's done and maybe share it with other farmers. Again, you never use the name. But, again, I try to provide value. And sometimes, Casey, you can have a conversation with a producer, and you can say, look, here's some things that I've seen that have helped other people. And they look at you and say, well, yeah, but that won't work on my farm. Okay? Yeah. Maybe you're right. But I have also think that you have that opportunity to be able to and no two farms are the same. So it's not like I'm sharing a trade secret per se, because I don't use specific examples. You know, for example, I don't say, hey, you know, we've got customers that they're doing this type of fertility program on this type of soil type. Because candidly, there are some proprietary secrets as far as producers are concerned. Mm -hmm. So we don't ever repeat the story exactly. But what we may say is, hey, have you considered what the effect on your operation would be by doing grid sampling? Or have you looked at this kind of a micronutrient application and what the cost would be and what your potential return would be? So, no, what you described, Casey, is the perfect example of what I hope guys do come in and want to talk about. Right on. Right on. All right. So here we are, prediction time. <clears throat> How do you think 2019... <laughs> Looking back right now, what you see happening right now and how 2019 is shaping up. You know, the first first month or so, a new farm bill got signed, so we're all we're all locked in, ready to go, right? There's there's a few few changes in there. Um, how do you think 2019 is going to be compared to 2018? Well, Casey, I guess first of all, I want to put a caveat in what I'm about to say, and I'll tell you that I'm equally adept at predicting interest rate movements, land values, and what President Trump may tweet tomorrow. <laughs> so, <laughs> which means I have no clue what any of those things are going to do. So I, I want to use that as a caveat. 
that being said, you know, obviously, I guess, you know, growing up, I heard a phrase, Casey, that said that, you know, some people can talk all day and still not say anything. And if you look at how that might translate into commodity markets, you know, there's times that we see a starting price of A and a start and an ending price of B, and they're reasonably close to each other, but the volatility between point A and point B is just enormous. Right. So that volatility is probably going to continue. I certainly haven't seen any news or heard anything to me that indicates that in when we're having this discussion in December of 2019, I haven't seen anything to say that corn may be materially different than what it is today. You know, soybeans, obviously, again, we don't know what's going to happen with some of the trade talks. Absent any market-changing tweet or action, you know, there's just not a lot of reason that I see right now to believe these markets are going to change. It, it looks to me like that we're kind of in for an extended period of time of what we're seeing today, at least. Right. Now, that being that being said, you know, and this goes back to my volatility comment, Casey, I don't want to say the exact number because I don't know, but I believe, if my understanding is correctly, if you look back over the last 40 years, during the course of the crop year, there's been at least one time that there's been a profitable pricing opportunity. So yeah. my gut feeling kind of tells me if we see yields similar to what we saw in 18, if you and I are sitting here in December 19 having this same kind of discussion again or January 20, I'm kind of guessing we're going to be having a similar conversation that it's going to kind of have been a treading water year. Now, when those pricing opportunities present themselves and you know to know what a good opportunity is you have to know what your cost of production is but the thing that i'll say is i think folks need to take advantage of the pricing opportunities when they occur and casey i just don't see a lot of things coming that that make me believe that this market's going to be materially different you know certainly a, a short production year is going to have a detrimental impact on the farmer. But when you look at some of the carryouts that we have, depending upon how short a production year it is, maybe a short production year wouldn't have a whole lot of effect on price. We don't know. Yeah. There's, it, it, there's just a lot of uncertainty. Or Excuse me. There's a lot of unknowns is what I should have said. But I guess, Casey, the short answer, I don't see a lot of difference coming. Okay, so how do you feel interest rates are going to start playing and roll in? You know, we had that interest rate hike here uh, this earlier, kind of like a week ago or whatever it was, um, mm -hmm. and they don't seem, the Fed doesn't seem that there's any, like they feel like there's any mm -hmm. real need to to uh, not have further interest rate heights into 2019. So what's your mm -hmm. opinion of that, and how do you see that having an effect on the market? Well, you know, Casey, here again, I want to reference back to my earlier comment. I've been wrong about predicting interest rate movements so long that I certainly don't even try anymore. I, I think, obviously, we have, at least in my lifetime, one of the first times where 
the uh, the president's been pretty vocal about what he thinks about the Fed's yes, actions ought to be. Yes, he has. And, you know, the Fed, I'm sure they've heard all of the uh, the comments, but they seem to have a pretty clear focus of what they're trying to do. I think they've been pretty explanatory in why the interest rate movements have occurred. Based upon their actions, it certainly sounds that in the coming 12 months, we could, absent something that we don't know right now, we're going to see some more interest rate increases. Now, do I know that's going to occur? Absolutely not. But that's certainly the way that they're seeming to trend. Now, one of the things I think that is working in producers' advantage right now We've we've seen that yield curve get pretty darn flat, mm-hmm. and if you look historically, there's still some fantastic opportunities out there interest rate wise on long term financing. So, for example, you know if you uh, if you're a producer that you've got some good equity in land, and you've got some debt out there but there's still a lot of equity, it's probably a good time to consider looking at the effect of locking in those long-term rates. The other thing, Casey, that I'll say with regard to interest rates, I think every producer, when they sit down with their banker, if, if they're not comfortable doing this on their own, the question they should be asking the banker is, can you show me what my operation looks like if we see interest rates go up 100 basis points or 1%? Can you show me what my operation looks like if it goes up 2% or 3%? So that when they make that decision about what they want that financing to look like, it's because they understand the effect of not making a certain decision. So that's something that I think is very important in today's world because we are seeing, obviously, more interest rate movement. If you look over the past 18 months, we've seen more interest rate movements than we saw in the previous four years. Yeah, and that would be interesting to see how many guys, when they're looking at, I mean, I guess I guess the, the real question to ask is, is when when is enough enough like when at what point you know so many operations set themselves up on two and three and four percent interest rates and and now yes. we're looking at five plus you know down the road here at what point is yes. there where's that where do those those lines cross and, and what does that how does that start affecting people's operations and that's that's a case-by-case scenario i mean there's no one blanket thing you can say about that no but again, that, that's why I go back, Casey, to that discussion with your banker if you're not comfortable doing it on your own. Asking that banker, say, look, what happens if my operating on interest rate, if it's at X today, what if it's X plus one? Mm-hmm. What if it's X plus two? What does that do to my profitability? Because, you know, as a banker, Casey, and you know, I know we just came past the Christmas season. The only time of year a banker likes a surprise is at Christmas. That's it. <laughs> right on. Okay. <laughs> and, and, and Casey, I, I think honestly most farmers are that way as well. Yeah. 
So having that discussion with your lender so that when you hear that conversation or that news report on the radio that the feds raise interest rates another quarter point, you pick up the paper and you read it, or you, excuse me, you go online and you read it now. I think having the discussion with your banker and understanding, look, let's talk about my overall structure. Where are some opportunities? Because again, if the banker's a resource, Casey, that farmer should be able to look at them and say, look, let's talk about what's a good strategy for my operation with my current debt level. Because you talked about it well, no two operations are the same. And that's where the discussion about the future, you know, what are you looking at doing? What are you looking at trading? Are you shrinking, growing, all those things? Let's talk about those interest rate movements because it would seem that it's more likely than less likely, at least based upon what we read here right now, that there will be some additional movements in interest rates. And, you know, if a farmer's got a variable rate line of credit, what is a quarter percent interest rate movement to him on a per acre basis? Think of it in that perspective. If interest rates go up a quarter point, how many more dollars per acre do I have to net in order to cover my interest cost? Right. Yep. Yep. All good stuff, man. And it is the, uh, it's just a, it's just so much stuff to consider right now. And there's lots of stuff out there. So, um, you know, just you got to have those conversations with all your advisors, whether it's, with your banker or your guy or the agronomist that you're working Absolutely. with or whoever it is. Lines of communication Absolutely. need to be way open right now and, and having those hard conversations as well as the easy ones too. So it just yes. matters. I mean, it's just, you got to have them is what it is. Yes. And Casey to, you know, I, th- I think we may have talked about it, this on the podcast before. I'm not certain, but you know what, what I ask farmers to consider is look, you're the CEO of a pretty, good size organization and you have these advisors your job as the ceo you don't have to come up with all the answers you know that's why you have your equipment dealers that's why you have your bankers your crop uh excuse me your crop advisors you have your crop insurance folks they're there to help you you're the ceo you ultimately get to make the decision but make sure you're getting that input. And by the way, it's never a bad thing. One of the things that really impresses me is if a farmer says, look, I'd really like to have a sit down to where my equipment guy, my banker, my accountant, my attorney, my crop insurance guy, I'd like to sit down with you all at one time. Let's limit the meeting to an hour. But can we sit down and just have a round table to make sure we're all on the same page? Because, you know, certainly Casey, let's say you and I are working with the same prospect and you know i have some ideas from a banking perspective you have some ideas as his advisor on the equipment side i think it's pretty darn important that you and i have the opportunity to hear each other as well because we don't want anything to get lost in the translation yep Yep. so that's one of the things that i've seen operations Typically, it's bigger operations that are starting to do that. But, Casey, that's a piece of advice I'd give for every producer. I would love to have every banker that, that of every customer that we work with in the same room when we're talking. and having Because yes. there's things that I don't know that the banker knows. 
there's things and vice versa. Exactly. You know what I mean? It's it's such yeah, an important it's such an important uh, give and take there that we've got to have. I mean, ultimately, in some of these cases, the banker is the one making the decision whether the guy's even going to buy anything or not, anyway. And well, you know, unfortunately, that's not every one of those bankers are as tuned in to what's going on as as they should be. Well, and, and Casey, you touched on something there, and I'll say this, and and this is true. I make this statement without regard to whether it's a customer that I have or not. If a producer isn't getting things from their banker that help them manage better, then honestly, I'd tell that producer, look, get a second opinion from a different banker. What's the worst that can happen? You figure out you've got a really good banker when you didn't think you did. That's the worst that can possibly happen. Right. So, but I agree with you, Casey. I'd love the opportunity with every customer we have, particularly on the equipment side. You know, of course, admittedly, that is an area of interest that, that I have. But I think it's great because if I look at most producers, and I'm actually looking at some data right now with our bank customers. You know, Casey, typically most producers today, machinery and equipment is going to be the second largest item on their balance sheet on the asset side. It's incumbent, in my opinion, upon the lender to understand what makes that value what it is. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Well, Alan, you are uh, you are something that is that is that has been lost. You know, my my grandpa grew up and he was a banker growing up, and he worked with a lot of a lot of stuff uh, in the on the ag sector, um, working in some small town banks and stuff like that. So. Um, mm-hmm. He was always in tune to what was going on. He wasn't a farm guy, you know, but he he uh-huh. understood enough about sure. values that he could track it. And and he and sure. not there's, I'm not saying everybody that it's in banking needs to be an expert in in everything because no. you, you can't, right? But exactly when you're dealing with you're if you're a predominantly a, an agricultural lending bank, I, I would highly recommend that you either talk to an equipment guy about where he sees equipment trends going, or Go out and check out Machine Repeat and, and Tractor House and Fastline and all those different groups out there and, and start seeing, watching a few auctions and see what things are doing. It, it'll definitely make uh, the, uh, I get asked all the time, is depreciation on machinery, is it 10%, 7%? I mean, what is it every year? And I say it, it completely depends on the machine, completely depends on the market situation and and what the overall aspect of Simple supply and demand is out there for that piece of equipment. So there's no easy button. I wish there was. It'd be great, but there's not. So it'd make it make it a lot easier. <clears throat> well, Alan, we've been going for a while. And we've covered a lot of stuff on this one, and I really appreciate the fact that you uh, you come on my podcast and and uh, you are a wealth of knowledge. If folks want to reach out to you and pick your brain about stuff, or or uh, maybe inquire about you you being their banker, how would they do that? Well, Casey, we, uh, our website is uh, www.americanfarmmortgage.com. Certainly, you can Google us as well. Uh, our telephone number is uh, 800-876-2362, or they can reach out to me by email at ahoskins at americanfarmmortgage.com. Right on. Well, Alan, it's always a good time. Hope you have a happy new year and hope you enjoyed the Christmas season. And uh, we will talk to you again down the road, bud. 
Thanks, Casey. Same to you, and I really appreciate the opportunity. Pleasure is definitely mine, sir. Have a good one. Thanks. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the Moving Iron Podcast. Remember, if you want to continue any of these conversations, you can hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. You can also send me an email at Moving Iron Podcast at movingironpodcast.com. You can also visit the Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel. Here you can find Morning Market Roundup with Chip Nellinger and Andrew Setzer. Also, Tax Moves with Glenn Birnbaum. Moving Iron Podcast is proud to be part of the Global Ag Network. The network is going live soon, so check out globalagnetwork.com for more details and updates. You'll be able to hear Dryline Farmer Podcast, Girls Talk Ag, the Topsoil Podcast, Ag News Daily, Working Cows, Heifer Please, Throwback Iron, and Ask Agnes. Please visit movingironllc.com. Here you can find information, details, and updates for the 2019 Moving Iron Summit in Nashville, Tennessee. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can leave a review and subscribe at your favorite podcasting platform. And you can find this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, and SoundCloud. So until next time, let's go move some iron. This is Casey Seymour. Out. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here.